So I look at a place of, of growth and decay. So you're either living in your comfort zone or you're not. There's a choice. Now, to go from current status quo to a new and different result, I've got to first change the way I think, cause a, a reaction to how I feel. Uh, uh, all right, I might be excited, might be scared, but I've got to take that risk. And a risk for me is an action step into the unknown. That's what a risk is. And so I believe that's the doorway to where you want to go, That the point B. So point A is where I am, not happy with it. I consciously choose a new and different pathway, but I've got to take a risk. It's an action step into the unknown. Today's episode is brought to you by Applaudable.net. G'day everyone, Craig from People With A Passion and today's guest is Tom Haupt who's an international speaker and a best-selling author. He's travelled to over 161 cities across four continents delivering training in mentorship to people of all walks of life from families to employees to CEOs to multi-millionaires and he has worked in the human potential space for around 14 years. He's also a basketball coach of 37 years and last year established B Elite Basketball here on the Gold Coast in Australia. And he helped bring the AAU to Australia and sits on the AAU Australia board. Tom, thanks for joining us here on People With A Passion. I appreciate your time and uh, coming up to share some of your experience. It's going to be interesting to have a chat about your journey. Your, while coaching has been one of your passions, you also have had a massive amount of investment in helping human performance from a leadership perspective and in business. So I want to start with some of those things, but I want to take you back just over a decade, which is the writing of your your book, Time Out, and uh, give us the full title and, and let's talk about some of those things that you arrived at when you came to write that. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on. And uh, yes, it took me about 18 years to write uh, the book, Time Out, Winning Strategies for Playing a Bigger Game in Life. And uh, I had started uh, a journey called self-discovery back in 2001. I had uh, attended a seminar that a very dear friend invited me to. And uh, I seemed to have been stuck in personal relationships at that time. And I had always constantly talked to him about it. And I think maybe he heard enough about my situation mm. that he felt having gone through this particular seminar of personal development, personal growth, that uh, I could gain some insight as to how I can keep moving or how I could move in my life. So in 2001, I took a seminar. Uh, I got tremendous value out of it and, and applied what I learned about myself into my life. Like it wasn't just taking notes and listening to someone. I actually took action and put it into my life. And as a result, over time, short amount of time, I attended a second and then completed the process with a third with a third course all within like six months. I really started noticing exponential growth in my life, mm -hmm. like truly uh, applicable success in my in my uh, personal and professional life, especially uh, uh, in my professional life. Yeah. So um, went back into the arena as a volunteer, and as a result. Um, got more engaged and uh, after about three years I thought to myself I truly like to throw myself into that arena uh, which I did and uh, in 2005 became a certified international uh, trainer facilitator for uh, self-awareness uh, small group trainings. Yeah so you worked with a number of companies over the years you've done keynote speaking 
and your main focus has, has been in helping organisations develop good cultures and accountability and some of those things. Let's uh, talk about one of the themes of that book that you wrote in 2009, which was the eight most common limiting beliefs that we have as individuals. Do you want to speak to a couple of those and this concept that we actually limit ourselves? Sure. I mean, um, after a number of years of actually engaging with people uh, from all around the world, I've traveled to four different company, uh, continents and uh, 150 plus cities. I've, I've met people of all different backgrounds, cultures, races, and uh, I started to really understand uh, what makes people tick and what causes them to stay stuck. And so what I determined in my journey is that there's a self, uh, eight self-limiting beliefs. The need to be right would be one. Trust is another, not trusting myself or others. The fear of being wrong or the uh, fear of success, fear of failure, the need to look good. These are some very, very common. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that everybody has every single self-limiting mm. belief mm. that's out there. There's an infinite number of self-limiting beliefs. Uh, however, I've, I've narrowed it down to a core, uh, a few core uh, self-limiting beliefs. And if I can identify, if I can be honest with myself, like look in the mirror, really face up, tell the truth, and stop pretending not to know what's really going on in my life, if I'm truly being honest with myself, then as a result, I can identify what's stopping me or causing the results that I currently have in my life that I don't want and look to transform the result, change the way I think to transform results. And I do that through looking at um, responsibility, being responsible. And so I can go on and on and on about yeah. each and every one of those, but that's just kind of where and why I kind of identified eight. Well, let's touch on the first one that you sort of mentioned there, which is this need for people to be right. Because <laughs> because I, I, I think that happens in a lot of relationships, but it's not just in relationships. The thought process around us being correct can actually potentially put blinkers on to other possibilities. So do you want to speak to the, the negative effects of always feeling you have to be right? Or even if you know you're wrong, not actually saying, okay, my bad, I thought that, but now I've changed my mind. Absolutely. In fact, like you mentioned, um, it's it's really in personal relationships you want to. That's not necessarily working well, or the way you'd want them to, or at the level you'd like it to be. Uh, I I truly believe that if I can look at um, that need to be right and see how that trips me up. So let's look at it this way: You've gotten to this point in your life relatively successful. You know, you've got a roof over your head, hopefully, you've got food in your belly, you've got some money in, in your pocket, and, uh, you know, you have clothes on your back. So, quite frankly, let's just say you're relatively successful. Maybe you're not at the peak or where you want to be, but it beats living under a bridge or living in, uh, you know, with nothing and, and begging for food and money. So, everyone's gotten to this point in their life. Well, however age you are, 25, 30, 50, 60 years old, relatively successful. So what's gotten me there is this belief system that I have. So if I look at, at this situation, this relationship, or the argument that I'm looking to make, if I look at it and go, wait a second, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe this way is the right way. Maybe this person has a true, better understanding or assessment. And maybe my way of thinking isn't accurate or isn't right. Well, in that case, 
I've got to be wrong. And all the things I've believed about a relationship or how to be a good person or how to be this way must be wrong. And who wants to be wrong? Nobody. But interestingly, questioning whether you're right or not is a growth mindset. It's a part of, of understanding that that there may be more out there to know. So that that is a limiting uh, attribute to human nature. And do you think our system of education contributes to that? The, the, the pen, like this concept of if you're wrong, it makes you feel stupid? I, I, don't, I don't know exactly. However, I think that we can be more open to <clears throat> different ways of thinking as opposed to this is the way one needs to think to accomplish X, Y, Z. Like, I have a very young son, uh, TJ, very, four and a half years old. We're teaching him about possibilities mm-hmm. so that mom or dad doesn't necessarily have to be right. It, this is the way. Like, there could be possibilities for other ways. Maybe he has a better way. Now, exactly. we're implementing that at a very early age so that when he does get to the point where we're not around, he gets to look at it and go, all right, this doesn't have to be the only way. Maybe there's other possibilities. We always go to solution. Like, in our relationship... It's like, oh, wow, this just happened. This just came up. It's, it doesn't look the way we thought it was going to look. Well, guess what? All right, well, what's another solution? What's another possibility? And not a lot of people think like that. So that at that moment, we got to let go of the way we think it's going to be or our way of righteousness. Now, there's a right, there's a, there's a righteousness is the need to be right. It, it's not doing the right thing. Like you and I, you look at your moral values and standards in life and say, morally, ethically, this is the right thing to do. You know, mm. you see somebody being in harm's way, you interfere or intercede because it's the right thing to do. Mm. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you're arguing to a point where uh, you can't see anyone else's point of view, whether it's in business. And that's just because I want to be, be right about what I think. Because if I let go of that, then I've got to admit to myself that what I believe about this particular thing has got to be wrong. And I'm, mm. I don't want to do that. One of the things that I, I, I think from what you've said there, you're talking about beliefs, is the potential to say that what I believe to be true may actually not be. Well, there's there's my truth, your truth, and the truth. Mm. Like There's two sides to every story. Yeah. Now, I'm going to argue my, my side of the story. You're going to argue your side of the story in whatever aspect, whether it's in business or whether it's in your personal relationship with your son, or your daughter, your, your mom, your dad, because you think whatever it is that you're arguing is this, this has got to be the way. But unless I take a deep breath, step back, and just really take a bigger picture, again, if there's conflict, if there's no conflict, there's no reason to step back. We're moving in a direction. Because all that's causing is resistance to what is. You know, I also write about the three R's, you know, resentment, resistance, and revenge. And if I catch myself, if I catch myself in resentment, like getting angry, upset because of what you're doing or saying, then if I catch myself in that space, then I can get to move through that and find solution. If I don't catch myself because I'm an automatic pilot, then I fall right into resistance and now there's a divide, and now I'm not paying attention, and now I'm, I'm being disrespectful, and then I move down into uh, resentment. And resentment doesn't have to be overt. It could be very subtle. It could be talking behind your back, talking to your boss 
uh, about this guy. He's not doing his job or her job. Uh, it could be very, very subtle gossip. It could be uh, pointing blame or, or not doing something that you need to have me do to get your job done. Mm. But it just, oh, I'll get it to you next week. So a lot of different forms of, of, of uh, revenge take place in our personal lives on a daily basis. And it just interferes. And so if I'm not, so in the seminars that I work with people over five days, I work with people on every aspect of their life. But the common denominator in every aspect of their life is them. Yeah. So if there's something that isn't working, and only they can define that, because I'm not going to judge whether something's working or not in their life. Mm. They've got to mm. do that. But if they're being honest and they're facing up, they're telling the truth, then we got some place to go. Then there's going to be movement if they're willing to be willing to look in the in the mirror and say, yes, this isn't working. How do I get unstuck and create a new and different result? How do I transform the results of my life? That's what I'm about. Personally, professionally, in basketball, every aspect of my life. And I ask people in, in your um, personal life, where in your personal life uh, is the need to be right showing up? And so give me uh, some examples. And so I ask them to go through the process and, and kind of really think through, wow, with this person, well, not, not, not in that situation. And so each self-limiting belief offers you the opportunity to examine, do I have trust issues? Do I have trust mm. issues with my son? Do I have trust issues with my mother, with my boss? Do I, tr do I not trust myself? Because if I don't trust myself, how am I going to trust other people? Mm. It's like... And so it's just a constant examination process as to is this the one or two or three that could be causing me not to have what I say I truly want. Because sure. what you want and what you're committed to are two different things. Mm -hmm. People want a lot of things. I want a lot of success. I want business. I want this. I want that. But they're more committed to the actual current result that they have. Yeah. <laughs> so basically you're saying that situations – change so therefore the limiting beliefs in a situation may actually impact um, how you deal with that situation so so in some situations you know you might ha trust someone or trust something so that's not a factor but then in another environmental situation you may actually right. not trust that maybe, maybe person it, or that situation absolutely so in other words maybe in business I have a lot of I have a lot of great success maybe because it, I have a, a male boss and so I have this great relationship and great success and I keep moving up the ladder but then I'm single, I, I date different people, different females, it doesn't work out, one failure after another after another, uh, and, and it because when I was young, I had a girlfriend who cheated on me, and so thus I cannot treat, I cannot trust women. But in business, I have a male boss, let's say, and I keep moving up through my successes, and so although I have trust over here, it's not necessarily working for me over here. Sure. So... Those limiting beliefs uh, are one aspect of your book. What are some of the other? And you mentioned the three R's. What are other things you've you've been, you present that were in the book that you also do as part of your uh, trainings? Trainings, yeah. Yeah, victim responsible. Like whether we want to admit it or not, <laughs> we're walking victims, and so um, that trips people up a lot in in every aspect especially when they say, I want to move forward in my life, but in reality, it's his fault or her, this is the reason, or it's the economy. And after people attend these seminars, I tell them on Sunday when they leave, I said, here's what I'm going to tell you. It's going to be deafening tomorrow when you go back to the office on Monday. It's going to be deafening. 
at how much people are being victims. Mm-hmm. And it's just really easy to be a victim. You know, as, as soon as you look to blame or go or, or accuse or, or fault or, well, it's not me or you're a total victim to something. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm not talking about, you know, if you're in a bushfire and you've been victimized from the fire. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about that. I'm talking about how, you know, the reason why I'm in this situation is because of someone else someone else or some other or some other situation or because i got fired it was because of this or because of it's just victim 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 Hmm. right now what do you get because in order to change you want to look at what's price benefit like people are victims because there's benefits Hmm. but then there's prices they don't look at that though they just see the better. I get attention. I get sympathy. I get to look good. I get to be right. And so there's a lot of um, victim from the place of I get a lot of benefits out of it. But when you start looking at the prices, what are the prices you're paying? They're astronomical. Mm. It just takes time. And people don't like to look in the mirror and go, wow, um, I have a lousy relationship. My health isn't where it needs to be. I'm unhappy. I'm sad. I have lack of confidence. Uh, I doubt myself constantly. I don't trust people. Those are big prices. My health mm-hmm. suffers. You know, my self-worth, my self-respect. It's like you can go on and on and on. And that's a big price. And the biggest price is you don't get to move on. Because I have a belief, I have a theory that you're either growing or decaying. A lot of people go, uh, hey, how are you? How's it going? And someone respond, oh, fine. Oh, good. Okay. Well, that looks like it sounds like uh, things are okay, stable, right? I don't believe in stability. It, it's, 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 it's a fallacy. You're either moving forward or you're decaying. You're either growing or decaying. So, so when I'm being a victim, when I'm operating from three R's, when I'm operating from that space, then I'm not moving forward. I'm actually decaying in my relationships, in my health, in my spirituality, and in different areas of my life. So one one thing that I identify with that whole concept of a blame game is people often, and you say it comes back to them, it, it, they've got to recognize that they're actually part of that solution when there is a problem. And those that are blaming others, in effect, uh, trying to exclude themselves from a situation that they're often part of and part of the solution too. It only comes as a result of being conscious. If I'm being unconscious in my life, I'm operating on automatic pilot. If you've ever gotten in your car, driven more than 10, 15 minutes to a destination that you've gone to quite often, you pull into the parking lot, stop for a second and go, how did I just get here? Like you just drove 15, 20, 30 Mm. minutes from point A to point B, which you've done many times. It's like, I don't remember the last 20 minutes of my life. You listen to music, you had thoughts going on in your head, right? Conversation, right? And so that's what happens. You're on automatic pilot. Who drove the car? Well, I'm going to suggest we do that in a lot of areas of our life a heck of a lot more than you realize. And until I actually am conscious, I'm not able to make new and different choices. So I operate from automatic. I'm an automatic victim. I'm, I'm automatically into three R's, and it affects my life. Prices, prices, prices. You know, many people ask me all the time, how do I change? How do I change? I'm like, I don't know. Are you conscious in your life? Are you awake? Are you aware? It starts there. I can only choose a new and different pathway if I'm actually noticing and experiencing my current state, Mm -hmm. where I'm at in my beingness. Yeah. So a lot of that blame game, this is where you're big on accountability and responsibility. So when you're talking about people blaming others and or situations, how does becoming conscious and aware actually lead them to understand understand 
a they can change those things they can change their mindset and how does that link in with being accountable it starts from um i look at it every situation from place of what are the choices that i made or did make that led to the result what are the choices that i made or didn't make that led to the result so um regardless of the situation that's not currently i'm happy with i go i chose this job i chose to you know work from eight to five I chose to marry this person. I chose to have my children. And so when I look at it and the event happened, then I come from responsible. It's like, these are the choices I make. Now, you may not happy, be happy with that, but guess what? You made the choices. No one put a gun to your head. And this is how graphic I am with people in a room. I go, listen, did anyone put a, a gun to your head and say, you had to marry this person? You had to take this job? You had to deal with this? Did anyone tell you that? No. Well, what were the choices you made or didn't make that led to the event? Mm. And when I operate from, these are the choices. I chose this. I chose that. May not be happy with it, but you did make the choice. No one put a gun to your head. Hmm. It's the same as staying in an environment where you're not happy too. Like yeah. no one's whole, like you might say, oh, yes, but I've got to earn an income if it's a job you're not happy with or something like that or a relationship you're not happy with. But ultimately, you do have a choice, but you're talking yourself out of that choice. But part of that could be because you have this false sense of potential comfort where you are. So, so one of the sayings I've had with my athletes and I've mentioned in other podcasts is if it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. So let's talk about this concept of status quo and how we make changes in our lives and, and how do we recognize a situation where we may need to make that change. So, so, so I look at a place of, um, of growth and decay. So um, you're either living in your comfort zone or you're not. There's a choice. Now, to go from current status quo to a new and different result, I've got to first change the way I think, cause a, a reaction to how I feel, uh, uh, all right, I might be excited, might be scared, but I've got to take that risk. And a risk for me is an action step into the unknown. That's what a risk is. And so I believe that's the doorway to where you want to go, That the point B. So point A is where I am, not happy with it. I consciously choose a new and different pathway but I've got to take a risk. It's an action step into the unknown. Once I take that action step, it may not be ultimately where I want to go. I might have to change course again, might have to go in a new and different direction, but lo and behold, at least I took an action. And I deal with people, I don't, well, how do I change? How would I change? Well, I need, I need to take action and have an emotional experience around a new and different success to have a new neural path that, that, that forms in my head. Now I have a new belief. I have new evidence that I can as opposed to I can't. Mm -hmm. Once I get to the other side, you know, I always say embrace risk, embrace success. Because I truly believe that it's only when I take action into unknown areas, which is outside my comfort zone, do I actually transform my current state into a new and different result. Let's talk about organizations. You, you, you mentioned that there was two types of accountability. There's individual accountability what other like accountabilities are there? Because obviously we do belong to groups or herds of people and, and we have our family and things like that. How do you get to a situation where as a group you understand that while there's individual accountability, you're also accountable in an environment like work or something like that? There's value in giving your word to another person going, based on our relationship, I will hold you accountable, you hold me accountable. And that can be done in business, on teams. And um, I always say, if you want something accomplished in life, you have a big why and you have accountability. If you don't have a big why 
at some point you'll just give up and it won't be that important to you. You'll let other things get in your way and it'll just be easier just to kind of let it go. It wasn't that important to me. That's the excuse you use. So you have to have a big why. And then the second thing is accountability. As human beings, I don't know who, I don't know, I don't care who says this, we can't hold ourselves accountable. Mm. I mean, think about how many times you've said you're going to do something just in your mind. Hey, I'm going to do this today at three o'clock. 3.30 rolls around, you go, oh, I didn't do that at 3. Now, what's the repercussions for an organization where I make that commitment to you that I'm going to do something and then I fail to do that? Right. Then then that goes right back to uh, all of the excuses and reasons why I didn't follow through with what I said I was going to do, regardless of accountability or no accountability. Uh, and then I become a victim because of circumstance and situations and this person and that time. I forgot the time. My calendar, my computer crashed. I didn't have my calendar. You know, it's like... You either have excuses and reasons or you have the results that you committed to in life. You can't have both. Mm-hmm. You're either going to have excuses and reasons. Uh, you know, you're going to have what is important to you um, and as a result of your commitment or you're not. So you can't have both. You're going to have one or the other. People go all the time. It's like, um, I want this. Well, no, you don't. Yeah, I do. Well, you said, how long do you want it? I want it for two years. I wanted this. Do you have it? No. What do you got? I got this. Yeah, that's what you're more committed to. Mm-hmm. See, the truth don't lie. You know, you can interpret it the way you want. That's why I said it's your truth, my truth, and the truth. Yeah, exactly. And the truth is what is. Mm-hmm. What are the results? What is? So, um, so hopefully that answers yeah. your question. So, so one of the sayings that I have is, perspective is the foundation to all and i put it in brackets your truth so that for me is is what you're saying is your perspective derives what's true for you and what you believe in a business environment do you have any examples of of how organizations can hold each other to account to to measure absolutely i i mean i i consult all the time and, and i tell i tell them what's the objectives what's the goal of this department this meeting this uh project uh, and then what's each individual's responsibility and to put it right out there and either have an ethos. It could be an ethos. It could be a commitment statement. It could be a mission statement, but something where you could refer back to when things go off off uh, track, so to speak. So what keeps you on track is that ethos. What am I all, What are we all committed to? What is the end goal? What is the end game we're looking for? Put it in writing because then it's not he said this or she's supposed to be doing that or he's supposed to be doing this. Yeah, it might take a while, but I've seen more time being wasted in meetings just by you know discussing things as to actually putting something down on paper because if you put it on paper, then that's going to hold me accountable. Mm. Uh-oh. But you know what? That's being responsible to myself, to the department, to the to the company, and I create a culture from that. So what is the culture we want? So you start there and you work backwards. So that's how I work with my my own family and that's how I work with other people is from a place or companies from a place of what is it ultimately that you want to accomplish and then work back from that and how are we going to accomplish that and then put it in writing, put it down on paper. And then from that space that if people move off the tracks, you can always refer back to it. You've mentioned a lot of uh, things about that you're doing these trainings and things like that. So how do you come to be recruited as a presenter of, of the training courses and what's your process to help deliver this because I'm while well, we're talking about these things that are in your book and also in your trainings right. my understanding is your training's pretty hands-on it's not you standing in front of people and no. actually saying these are the right. five things 
very experiential. So I just got involved through, through attending the seminars and then giving back. And as I was giving back as a volunteer, I started realizing that I had this real passion for it. Like I really had passion for supporting people in their lives, not telling people what to do, not giving them advice, but supporting them and figuring out for themselves how could they take their life on and move to another level. So there came to a point where I just, you know, I had a full-time life insurance and investment practice, uh, 17 years, very successful, uh, built it up, and, you know, that was my day job. Yeah. But I just realized that this, it wasn't fulfilling. And a lot of people look for their purpose. What's my purpose? What's my person? And instead of looking out there, find it inside. So I stopped looking for what my purpose was. I knew it wasn't just to sell life insurance or investments. So, but by supporting people in their lives and really seeing this growth and this transformation take place, whether it's short or long periods of time, I just realized that I wanted to be more involved. And so through people recognize in the industry, people recognize this guy really gives his heart and his soul uh, to other people. And so th- I was asked, hey, would you like to be in the training program, which was, you know, once every five years, they, they, they put 25 people through and they chose three in mm-hmm. five year period. And so I was, I was blessed. And so as a result, um, I just took this on and started the training process, which took two weekends a month for a th- uh, year and a half before I got my own class on my own. So I was mm-hmm. coached by five different people over a year and a half, yeah. a big commitment. And, uh, and then contract myself to various, there's about maybe, I'd say, outside of China, outside of China, which I go to, but outside of China, there's probably 50 in the whole world that do this type of work, 50 mm-hmm. companies. Yeah. And so not everyone uh, is trained to do this type of work. So what I do is I engage with people through a process. We throw out some ideas and strategies and thoughts and, 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 uh, and different ways of thinking uh, for people to kind of reflect on their lives. And then they share where they're currently stuck, where they're not really fulfilled or really why they have lack of confidence or self-doubt. And they, we start to examine through a series of questions that I ask them. Well, what about this? What about that? You know, uh, what I, everyone's got a gift. That's the premise. Everyone's got a gift. And, um, you know, we all think we're very, very different in life, you know, because we look different. We have different clothes, different color skin, come from different, eth- um, you know, ethnic backgrounds. But quite frankly, if, if you look at it, um, we're no different because I say to people all the time, do you want do you want a healthier lifestyle? Do you want a better life for your children? Do you want, um, you know, do you want to eat healthier, feel healthier? Do you want to have more money in your pocket? Do you want to be able to give more to charities? And everyone says yes, 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 yes to all of that. No one ever says no, no, no. And I ask those questions all around the world and I get the same responses. So I said, guess what? You're no different than the person sitting next to you. But here's what I know, that you are unique. And it's in your uniqueness, okay? It's in the gifts that you have that creates the uniqueness of who you are. You have gifts that I don't have. That's what's unique about you. But you and I are no different. And I say that all the time to get people to realize that when you see other people on the street, how could I feel like that person's different if they might have gifts that could help me in my life? So I have no book or agenda when you stand up with a microphone going, hey, my relationships uh, with my dad, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kid, or I I keep getting tripped up or five, six, seven years go by, I keep getting over passed over for that job promotion and I can't figure it out or I'm, I'm unfulfilled or unhappy. I go, all right, let's start looking at that. And so I'm basically a mirror with mm-hmm. words. <laughs> words come out of my mouth. And I just 
ask a series of questions in and around um, where people are at and where they want to go. And they start to discover for themselves why they are in this situation, how they feel this way, and, and, and how maybe they can move forward. What's the sort of feedback and life-changing experiences you've had from people who have done your training? Is it too many to mention, or are there any that stand out in any stories? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you stories about how a husband and wife were in a room in Florida, and a woman stands up and talks about how she doesn't feel she's worthy enough to be a mom. And so, you know, she doesn't ever want to have children, and her husband's bawling, going, but I do, and they've been married, and I don't want to leave this woman. And she's like, but I don't feel like I'd ever be a great mom. And, uh, you know, I've that was 12 years ago, and I've been to their house in Florida as a guest, and he's mm-hmm. a dear friend, and they're friends, and they have a beautiful six-year-old daughter. Yeah. Because they've taken that on, that, that, that belief, that self-limiting belief, I don't think I'm going to be a good mom, and so that's why I don't want to have children. And I've seen them through this process of supporting them, of transforming that belief to, well, maybe I can. And so as I come to a place of maybe I can, then all of a sudden I am, and then I have that child, and, and she's spectacular, and the daughter's great. And, mm. you know, so and I, I have those kinds of... The, that's an amazing story, given that, in effect, you've actually helped bring a child into being by helping that individual overcome that yeah. barrier. Yeah, that so fear. It and, just... You know, I could tell you untold stories. I, I, I've had a, 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 in Christchurch, New Zealand, I've had a, a husband, a wife, and a daughter in the room, and he was in resistance and resistance and resistance just shut down, and the wife's in there saying that our relationship's really not the best, and the daughter's in there listening, teenage daughter's listening to this. And so by, you know, he's just in resistance. But on Sunday night, when we're all leaving, and uh, we're in this in this magical moment where we're in a circle, and we're basically it's the last thing before we walk out the door after four or five days, you know, he looks over and he says, "I got it, mm-hmm. I get it, I got it now." Yeah. And he's kept in touch with me, and he said his 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 relationship has gone from like a two. To like a 20 if there's such a thing on a scale from zero to 10. I've had a husband and wife after an exercise in Utah. They had an exercise we do on uh, Sunday morning and uh, he stands up afterwards and goes, he goes, uh, I'm 65 years old. I've been married, you know, like 45 years. And he goes, that was the most intimate moment I ever had with my wife in that last 30 minutes. <laughs> had a 40, you know, and it's like you get chills, you know? Yes. And, and, and I could, I see faces. I don't remember many names, and I've created a lot of friendships, and I have friends all over the world that, uh, you know, if I needed something, they'd be there for me because I was there for them through this process where they were stuck in their life. They were unhappy with their life. They they were struggling with finances. They they would start business and fail, start business and fail, start business and fail, and then now they've got 30 employees. They're doing X number of million dollars Mm. a year. I just got... (laughs) I just got a LinkedIn message three days ago. I told my wife this morning, I said, I said, I heard from Brian. I haven't heard from him in years. And I've sent him and kept in touch with him. I've stayed at his house. I know his two boys. And he said, Tom, I've gone through some struggles and I've been hiding out the last two years. But he goes, I just reflected back on our relationship and what we've, you know, what we've done together and how you supported me in life. And he goes, he goes, I just want to tell you I love you. Yeah. So, so some some amazing. Thousand those stories. Yeah, and 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 that's that's 
the side of, of what you're doing that brings value to lives and and that's the purpose but obviously emotional uh, stories which is which tell is, is an you know example of the man that you actually are the empathy that you actually demonstrate for these stories and these people that they are people and you're just trying to make help them make them like their lives better so a lot of this raw emotion that you have around the people you've helped and you've indicated that you've got a lot more stories that you could share that are, that are private but this you said you were looking for purpose external to yourself this has given you purpose but you've had your own life experiences too that drew you in 2001 to self-assess so I'm guessing that some of your experience that you're drawing from from your own relationships experiences that you see some of these potential issues that these relationships have where you've said this was a problem potentially in your life and you've come to recognize it so therefore your sad and negative experiences are allowing you to help others and and that's part of that internal purpose recognizing you have value to bring to others yeah i mean when i first started um in in the industry as far as the trainer's concerned i i will admit that it came from ego like i felt like oh i'm a this really important person but over the years you get to hear the struggles people have and when you when i'm able to support them like i don't give a single answer to anybody because i don't have the answers mm. i'm still mm. searching for the yeah, answers sure. in my life. but it's basically just a reflection of where they're at and, and just allow them a safe space for them to be open and honest with themselves that it just is enough to get them unhooked just enough to get them unhooked to move to another to take another step in whatever direction and and with love and empathy, you just say, look, you know, I may not see you after this Sunday ever again my your entire life. However, know there's people in your life that will support you. There's people in this room that will support you. There's people that you may not even be, you, you might be ignoring that would love to support you. Just got to ask because everyone wants to do it on their own. Mm. They think, you know, there's, there's a reason why there's billions of people on this planet. And probably not the reason for being alone, but... There's plenty of people out there. If you just ask for support, they'll support you. Yeah. You just tell them what the kind of support you'll need. So I just think that um, people in general, you know, are afraid to share what truly is going on in their heart. And as you can tell, um, although I did come from that ego place, um, it's 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 bigger than me. Mm. It's bigger than me. It, 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 the, experiencing people with a self of. Oh, now I feel like there's hope, there's possibilities, you know. And I and I and I'm not saying every person that goes through a seminar is every aspect of their life is crumbling. I'm not. I've had multi multi millionaires in the room, multi million. They know how to make money. They they know business. Mm -hmm. there, there's no doubt. But they've got their fourth or fifth wife. Their kids won't talk to them. You know, it's like all right, their relationships are suffering or something's going on there. Mm -hmm. I've had people that have, you know, strong strong spiritual faith. You know, faith in God, faith in their, their life, strong priests, ministers, various different people in that in that in their faith realm, and and uh, and they struggle with money, and they have a hard time with finances. I've got people that truly um, have magnificent relationships, like have truly beautiful, beautiful, beautiful relationships, and are heartfelt and really connect with people. And on the other hand, their health is is terrible. They they don't eat right. They they don't they don't exercise. They they don't they can't see themselves as a healthy spirit. You know, so 
it doesn't mean that every aspect of your life is not working. It's just what area of your life do you want to improve on? What do you mm. want to enhance on? And then let's focus on that so we can move. Because your other areas are doing great. We don't have to discuss that. Mm. I, I did I want to make one of a thought came up when you did mention about people in front of me. I got to tell you, when I fly home on those Mondays, and sometimes I fly home and it takes literally 16 hours. Like I'll go to Shanghai and it takes two and a half hours to get to Hong Kong. And there's an hour layover and there's another nine hours mm. and it takes another hour and a half to get home. And it took an hour and a half to get to the airport. It's a long day. So I have a lot of time to reflect. Yeah. I put my headset on. I don't speak to anybody unless I have to say hello or goodbye uh, because I don't want to hear my own voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I listen to it for five days. Yeah, sure. But in reflection, you know, I purge a lot of the emotion that's experienced in the room. I've got to purge it so I don't bring it home with me. Mm-hmm. And then also I do a lot of self-reflection on my relationships. Where, sure. can, where can I be a better person? Where can I be a better husband? Where can I be a better dad? You know, I do a lot of self-reflection because I don't want to be in that situation ever again where I'm in a, in a training room going, hey, this isn't working. Like, you know, if, if I'm going to be true and authentic and honest, um, then I've got to be practicing what we talk about. I'm not perfect. I'm certainly not perfect, but I'm aware and I'm conscious. And I get to see where I'm being victim. And I go, oh, is this working right now? I get to see where I'm trying to be self-righteous with my kid. You know, I get to look at that. It's it. Believe me, I, I'm one of the few people that actually knows when I'm being a victim. <laughs> so yeah, because you've got the tools to assess, you know what you, the awareness. You ident- the awareness, yeah. Whereas if you're not aware, and that's then you know that that's where it starts, yeah. isn't it? With self awareness, yeah. and and yeah, that losing that victim mentality, and which which also makes you put yourself in a more objective perspective like point of view or perspective to, to actually step back and take a look at, at a situation. How, how important is it to look from another person's perspective and step in other people's shoes, particularly when you're talking about environments, like you say, where people are having problems with, say, a relationship? It could be any relationship, not necessarily marriage or whatever. Is that part of a process too of, of, of actually trying to step in the mindset or the shoes of potentially the other person, or is that just an impossibility? I, I'm not quite sure about that because um, I don't think I can ever honestly know what someone else is thinking, or I can honestly know how they're feeling, even if I've had a similar experience. Like I've been divorced, mm-hmm. so and let's just say you've been divorced. I don't know if it's fair for me to say to you, "Well, I know how you feel because I've gone through it." It could be two totally different circumstances. Mm-hmm. So how could I possibly ever say to you? Oh, yeah, I know how you feel. It's BS because you might have a whole different situation around your divorce. Sure. I wouldn't know, you know. Mm. So, but, but what I do do, what I, what I do is I look at it from what, what's my part in this? What's my responsibility in this? You know, I challenge people's thinking. Believe me, I challenge people's thinking in the room. And something I'll do is I'll say, and this will blow their mind most of the time, I'll say, how many people does it take to have a, uh, a number 10 committed relationship? How many people does it take? to have a number 10 committed relationship, 10 being spectacular. That's like the highest you can have, right? And people go, two, two. I'll go, anyone else? <laughs> and there'll always be somebody, one? <laughs> I'll go, mm, and they'll go, one? With, with a question mark. I go, yeah, why? And they'll, they won't be able to figure out. And I say one because if I'm more committed to the other, if I'm more committed than the other person in having a number 10, then I'll win because whoever's more committed wins. Like commitment means doing whatever it takes ethically, morally, and legally to get the job done. 
Now, that's my definition of my book. Commitment is huge for me. It's mm -hmm. Commitment is really big with me. Without the commitment, not much is going to work. Like you're either committed or you're not. You can't be a little bit pregnant. Yeah, you're either committed, you're committed or not. You can't be a little bit pregnant. So people go, well, I kind of like, no. You're either committed or you're not. And how do I know? Based on your results. Not by my judgment. You tell me what number your relationship is, and I'll tell you that's what you're committed to. How do I know? Because that's what you just told me. That's yeah, what your exactly. number is. Yeah, it's a good analogy and a good example of, of how to measure something. Yeah. It, not just relationships. You could almost say, what's your level of commitment to this? And if they give you a lesser number, then that's all they're going to achieve I'll, I'll give you or a have achieved. I'll give you a great quote from a, a, a tremendous man who walked the talk. Wasn't perfect, but he walked the talk. And unfortunately, he died way too soon. His name is Brian Clemmer. He's uh, one of the very first men that I worked for his company. Brilliant man. Um, and he, he, wants, he, he would say often, the only fair way to gauge a man or woman is by results. Often harsh, always fair. The only fair way to gauge a man or woman is by results. Often harsh, always fair. A hundred percent. It's a very. Is that great? Quote. It is a great quote. I mean, because that that's got everything you're talking about there. It's got the accountability, non-victim mentality. It's got the the concept of rating yourself and and things like that. All right. So, I think we've covered pretty much everything today. Yeah, so, pretty much. So, um, I, I want to thank you for your time, Tom, and I hope that we get to catch up down the track. We'll do it again. Yeah. You know, in a few months. What organisations provide? Your the training services. Service. Yeah. So so right now I'm contracted with companies that are based out of Taipei, China. Uh, the closest would be, I'm pretty sure, is uh, Malaysia. And so there's, just to kind of read up on the information, uh, Milestone Trainings out of Malaysia is a company that I – so there's information yep. there about what I do, what we do. Um, uh, uh, there's Asia Works. Uh, there's benchmark training. So those are the three that are in the south southeastern. I actually worked with Brian Clemmer down in Australia, mm -hmm. and I used to come down like every three months to do the trainings down here. However, um, we haven't done a training down here in about six years. So, okay. so it doesn't exist any longer in Australia. And there's really no other company that does exactly what we do in the format that we do it. There's uh, little things that are sound like it, but it's not as impactful because ours is very experiential. It's okay. very, very experiential, and that's so, where that growth comes from. So that's intriguing that you haven't done anything in Australia for six years, but you've been to New Zealand, you've been to China, yeah. you've been to all these other yeah. countries. And, and I guess you're thinking it'd be nice if someone... I get asked know, that all the time. time. Yeah, you know, someone in Australia actually put something together. together. Yeah, to I mean th those those companies. I would highly recommend them if they if they want to send me an email and to ask any questions. Mm. Where do they email you? Where would they send you an email? Uh, they could send me an email at uh, tomhaupt at hotmail .com. So it's t o m h a u p t at hotmail .com. You, You're more than welcome to send me uh, emails in regards to inquiries and things of that nature. My book is hard hardcover. And uh, also Kindle, it's on Amazon. It's been on there for mm -hmm. years. If you read it and you love it and you enjoy it, please leave a review. I've got quite a few reviews from people from all over the world. Um, anyone that's done a seminar of mine, they read the book and they hear my voice as they're reading it. That's a little trippy. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I just uh, I love life. I'm passionate about my family, basketball, uh, personal development. And, uh, you know, when I leave this world, I just want to – Leave it a, a better place than I, I found it. Okay, that's awesome. I'll make sure that I put links into the description and that people can click on those links to find more information about you. So thanks very much for your time you and joining us here on People With A Passion. It's been great. Good. Thanks, mate. You bet.
I hope you liked this episode. If you did, please give it a thumbs up and feel free to comment. If you haven't yet subscribed, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell to be advised of new interviews when they're uploaded. I hope you join us again sometime. Catch you later.